Good morning. Um, today I'm going to pick about on Paul's, Paul's letter from, to the Thessalonians, the first one he wrote. Um, and have a little bit of background about the letter and, and when he wrote it and how he wrote it. Um, he was actually in Corinth at the time and it's, they think it was about AD 51 that it was written. And he'd previously been in Thessalonica, um, which actually is a big seaport city, or at the time was a big seaport city and a trade centre. It was on the coast of Greece by the Aegean Sea. Um, and it was the largest city in Macedonia and, it, and also its capital. And the population at the time was about 200,000, so it was quite a big place. And it's where Paul began his ministry in that town, in the town synagogue. Um, and if we read in Acts 17, 1-9, we learn how he was forced to leave the town and go into the town of Beria, which is close by, a little way down the coast. And how then the Jews in Thessalonica heard that he was preaching in Beria, and uh, they were then after him again. So Silas and Timothy moved him on again to Athens, and then he eventually ended up in Corinth. And the Thessalonian church consisted of some Jews, but it was mainly Gentiles. And since Paul had, made, had been made to leave Thessalonia rather abruptly, Paul did not have any news about the recent converts in the city. And it was a result of Timothy arriving to see him and bringing him up to update with the news that it was that reason that Paul then wrote to his first letter to the Thessalonians. It's really different now, isn't it? Um, quite unlike Paul, who had to wait, we receive news from all over the world in an instant. And the Christian message has always met opposition. And it could be said in some senses, because the communication is good, it improves the chance, but it also improves the chance of opposition. And in fact, that is the great thing that we're finding now. Um, because of this communication. I know the pictures that we had, the awful pictures and details of that appalling killing of that um, IS by IS of the Jordanian pilot was beamed all over the world. Everybody knew about it as soon as it was launched. Now somebody we know who's a, a um, missionary really in the Eastern Bloc countries with his wife um, he periodically publishes things online and what he calls his ramblings. His name's Roger Pook. Some of you may have met him, I don't know. And the recent, recent one he put in, it set me thinking about how hard it is to spread the good news of Jesus to people who just don't want to know about it under any circumstances. He said that if there was ever any articles or editorial to do with Christianity, or any other religion for that matter, it's followed immediately by a rash of comments, mostly in the theme, mostly with the sort of theme of religion is based on a set of myths and lies which have brought untold misery to humanity throughout history. And the sooner these myths and lies are exposed and got rid of, the better it will bring freedom to the millions who are fooled by religion. 
And it was not too long ago that religion was seen generally as a good thing, even by those who had no faith. But nowadays, a declaration of personal faith can expose us to ridicule or hostility, as we all know. In the face of the atrocities perpetrated by IS, one can see also that there's a fair amount of logic in its supporting this, this belief and that it would also support the general common view amongst people that are generally sceptical. So it makes things much more difficult. So Satan seems to be working very hard now in the areas of communication. Um, and it moves all around the world, so it's making it very difficult. His, his purposes are being well looked after at the moment. So it means that us as Christians have an even greater responsibility to demonstrate our Christian living. So that people do detect that there is a difference with those that have faith in Jesus. And it was because Paul did not have this same level of immediate information like we have, that he was living in Corinth and worrying and concerned about how they were doing, how the church in Thessalonica was doing. He needed some information. And he got it. Um, when, when, uh, um, when he was told when uh, Thomas came to see him. And he needed then to send a letter to encourage and strengthen them. He knew how well they were doing, but he was very worried. Um, you know, he knew there'd been lots of um, recent converts from paganism there, and he knew that they'd been left with little support in the midst of all the persecution they were suffering. So apart from the encouragement of his letter, and it was very, very encouraging, he said, oh, how well they were doing, how he'd heard well they were doing, and push on, push on. He also contained some instructions for proper godly Christian living. Living to please God. And we read in chapter 4, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in, in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. The letter ends with some final instructions and we read from Thessalonians 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish, admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. <clears throat> Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. This is and must be the characteristics that any church must display and would strive for, 
to be able to exude grace, love and the wisdom of God. But there's one part of this passage which actually sticks out quite exceptionally and that is give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now Paul writes this command with absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. It's not Paul's personal opinion. Paul says, it is God's will for you. We are commanded to give thanks all the time and in every situation. No exceptions, no exemptions, in good times and bad, in laughter and when we're crying, we are to give thanks. <laughs> so how can we do this? It's quite and seems to be quite impossible to obey this command in our own strength. But then we have to look at what the scriptures tell us and teach us about our lot in, the lot in our lives. We're never ever promised a life of unending peace and we know this. No wealth, not health, happiness, we, we can't expect that. We are in danger if we think that is what we should expect. Even more, if we do not have these things, feeling sorry for us and wondering why me is equally wrong. God does graciously give us many physical blessings. He supplies all our bodily needs, food to eat, we know this, clothing, air to breathe, clothes and shelter. He also offers us, despite our human condition, the promise of forgiveness and eternal life because Jesus, Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross. How often I hear this, do you hear the, the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Now I can think back to certainly my 30s, maybe early 40s, when I, like a lot of people, move away from God. But I always knew something was there. And I used to think this, looking around and seeing this, this issue where good people seem to hit a lot of problems, that it always used to keep me away. I thought, well, I'm not going to tempt providence. And, and this, this held me away for a while. But actually, it's quite the wrong question. It should be, why do good things happen to bad people? Because not one of us is called good. None of us are good people. But despite that, God gives us all, all these good things. And why shouldn't we be thankful? We now come to the question of those times of ill health, pain, suffering and death. If God loves us and is merciful to us, why does he allow these things to happen? We are told that we believers in Jesus are blessed even in the midst of suffering. He is there with us and still offers us forgiveness and salvation, whatever the circumstance. God often uses suffering to strengthen our faith in Christ. God is sometimes forgotten when times are really good. This is exactly what I, I, I experienced. So allowing some suffering 
in our lives encourages us to cling to Jesus and thereby blesses us. Grumbling and complaining if things are not, if things are not going well as we want them, we do not get what we want, is a symptom of an unthankful heart and not a product of a deprived life. Some Christmases ago, and it was about four or five ago, one of my granddaughters, on Christmas morning I was sitting there watching her, and one of her relatives came in with a big black plastic bag full up with things. Now, this lady obviously enjoyed herself through the year buying bits for her and wrapping them up, and that's fine. But my granddaughter got this big sack, she got hold of it, she pulled out the things, ripped the wrappers off, and literally, as, the, as it progressed, one after another, she was beginning to throw things over her shoulder to see what else was there. And this seemed to us quite <laughs> awful, really, to see. So having everything we want at the time doesn't produce a thankful person, or, indeed, a grateful child, because she certainly wasn't. She got all these things all this wrappers around her and all these bits she just chucked on the floor. God's forgotten in this and it's not God's plan. I have an old business friend of mine who, who lives in the Midlands and he's actually a Baptist lay preacher. And I may have told you this before but I think it's a good example. He... he um, he had a friend, or has a friend, who's also got a ministry. And I, I can't remember quite what his ministry is, but it involves working in this country. And he visits churches and talks. And he lives um, by his faith. And they were sitting down there and this morning, and he got his post, and he opened his post. He undid this phone bill, which he said to Keith, oh, look at that because he uses the phone a great deal in, what he, in his ministry. And this is enormous phone bill. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I can't pay that. Next letter he opened, he pulled out a cheque. And this cheque came from the church that he'd previously been at. And it was the product of their collection. And this, this was for an amount of the phone bill, absolutely exactly to the penny that he got. This We've all seen this happen, but this is what God does. He, his, his provision is clearly God's provision, but it wasn't more than was required. It then leaves us with a thankful heart. We say, well, thank you, God, for that. And this type of thankfulness to God acknowledges that we do still go, owe God everything. So others may have paid, played a part in your lives, maybe to a significant degree. And we've got to acknowledge that and be thankful for that. Excuse me, and I haven't got the fifth page. Also, 
I'm going mad, I'm very sorry about this. <laughs> getting old, I think it is, getting old. <laughs> How much would we fail if we did not acknowledge and thank God to whom we owe absolutely everything? God created us, he created everything that's good and everything we've ever known, including those we love. Thankfulness to God does not stop things that concern us, but it does help us to maintain a perspective on our faith. And God is always faithful. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And that's in Philippians. I've spoken often before about God's proximity, how close he is to us at all times. Regardless of how we feel, whether we feel his, actually feel his closeness, he's there. And it's really easy to build the habit of honouring God by thanking him, by little prayers, little arrow prayers from our hearts for everything during our waking hours. We've been adopted by him as our beloved child, as his beloved child. We are saved and we will spend eternity in his presence. <laughs> our feeble thanks to him seem hardly enough. But we have to do it. And he hears us. He hears everything we say. So, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our church here in Hurstmansoon. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for all your provision for our lives. And pray that you accept our heartfelt thanks for, you, for all your outstanding love to us and our rich blessings. Amen. And just before I go, um, I mentioned this, this thing with IS and this Jordanian pilot. We actually had quite an interesting discussion in our house group recently about this and about faith and um, sin, basically, and how sin is, is relative, really, and is fixed when you believe in God. So sin has got to be involved where there is God in, in existence. And we were having quite an interesting discussion about this and how it was looked at. Might be something for you to talk about. I'd be quite interested to know how any conclusions you came to. Is it simply Satan at work or uh, they don't see it necessarily as a sin. They're, they're serving their God. For us it seemed abhorrent. Um, I don't know, something you can think about and talk about.